Welcome to the Marshall Pro Podcast and your week in sports cars show. Graham Goodwin, it is 2.09 p.m. on Wednesday, May 11th, where I am. Where are you and what time is it there? Because it's different than mine. Okay, so I'm uh, in a very lovely Airbnb um, just outside Imola. Uh, for the European Le Mans series this weekend, our first visit back to this fine, fine place uh, since 2016. And track hasn't changed a whole lot, apart from the uh, press centre, which used to feature, uh, that a very nice feature, which was it used to pump raw sewage um, into the media centre uh, from the ceiling. Uh, that doesn't do that anymore. Uh, that might be something to do with Formula One going back there. Um, no raw sewage jokes, thank you. Uh, but no, fine new place. Um, yeah, exhausting day, but it's 10 past 11 in the evening. Um, and uh, back You've into the You've been up since 3.30 in the morning. I have, so, I have. <laughs> so, dear listeners, we're going to do a couple things. One, we're going to say a big thank you to you for the questions that you send in every week that power our show. We're going to say thank you to the wonderful folks at Cooper Tires, also at the Justice Brothers, and then finally at torontomotorsports.com for supporting our show and everything we do here on the Silly Little Podcast. Graham, we are now six years and three days in to wow. uh, this podcast, so just crossed six-year anniversary. And also, right at the time we turned six years old, we also crossed eight million downloads since uh, the show was started. So a small number compared to some of the world's bigger and more important uh, podcasts, well, they're all more important than this, but uh, for a somewhat niche American open wheel racing and domestic and international endurance racing podcast, I would say we should be proud and extra thankful for all of our listeners and you and everybody who's been oh, yeah. a part of things. So uh, I'm going to. And here's the thing. Here's the thing, MP. It's fun. It's fun. Yeah. And that's, uh, you know, maybe what? for you. This, I mean, I, this is the worst. <laughs> oh, oh, my God. Make it end. Make it, it stop. It's mad old world, isn't it? Nice to have an hour, half an hour, 45 minutes where we can just make it fun. Yes, I just, well, we started off uh, with our cat, Rocky, who decided to jump up on the back side of the chair here, sit on top of it and wrap his tail around my face, genuinely covering my mouth. So I think he's not having fun. He wants me to shut up. So on the topic of shutting up, we've got about a half hour. I've got about a half hour. We might be hearing Graham snoring before we get to the end of that. So uh, I'm on a plane in the morning for 18 days. There we go, to Indianapolis. I've got a ton of stuff I still have to do. So uh, normally you select the categories that we run through. I don't know if we're going to have a chance to get through much more then your bailiwick, as my father would say, WEC, Asian Le Mans Series, ELMS, and ACO. So since I know that's what you're going to choose, I'm just going to start off there, and uh, that might just be our show today. So Stuart Hart says, WEC CEO Frederick Lequin said he believed Spa's attendance may have broken the WC track record there. Uh, once again, I hope real thought is being put into a uh, more engaging qualifying format uh, for next season, uh, both for fans, trackside, and TV, an obvious area for growth. A um, couple other okay. questions related to SPA, BOP, and yada yada, but why don't we just start off with uh, the size and magnitude? 
uh, it was hugely encouraging. There was a half-hour queue to get into the circuit um, at a sensible time of the morning. Uh, so way through Frankenstein Village and out the other side, um, which I've never seen for a WC race. Uh, both the grandstands, the major grandstands, that is the one opposite the pits, and the brand new humongous grandstand at Radion, a 4,000-seater, were well-filled. Um, I'm not going to give you too much of an estimate on crowd size because I'm a bit terrible at that. There were lots and lots of people all around the other few parts of the circuit. It was certainly a five-figure crowd, um, and I don't think it was the very low end of that. I think it was a very good number. I'm actually really pleased that what they've not done is to go in with some crazy number. Uh, in the early days of the weekend sports cars, we used to take the mickey out of this quite a bit. I'm glad we stopped that. Um, Let's, let's talk about what the real numbers are, because that's our base, and that's what we should be building up on. It was great to see people there, great to see families there. It was particularly good to see people toughing it out when the weather turned, because the weather that came, Marshall, simply wasn't forecast. Now, you know, I know that happens at Spa a lot. It happened a lot for this race, and we had, for the second time in succession, the only time this has happened in WC history, uh, a second three red flag race, uh, and correctly so. Conditions were absolutely terrible at, uh, at points there. Um, so, yes, great to see people back. Absolutely fantastic to see people back uh, in the pit lane with a pit lane walkabout uh, session. And I think the way in which this all came together will only encourage race organisers to do more. I cannot wait to have fans back in the correct numbers MP for the Le Mans 24 hours because boy oh boy does the uh, the place look weird strange and wrong without them indeed Daniel Summersgill our fine friend who puts together the questions for us says rumors this week that the uh, Prima and Iron Lynx outfits may be running the potential Lamborghini LMDH Husky thing from the European side mm -hmm. what would that mean for Iron Lynx in their relationship with Ferrari and GT going forward, if that were to be the case? It's a great question. And um, there is something of a, how could we put this, a game of chicken at the moment with the major sports car uh, racing news outlets as to, there are some stories that we 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 believe we know, there's some others we actually know. Um, there's a bit of a game of chicken as to who's going to, breaks with those confidences or break what we know first. Nothing new um, in terms of what's, uh, in fact, our, our friends at Insurance Info uh, published this week. Um, do I believe that's correct? Yes, I do. Do I believe that the deal is yet done? It wasn't done as late as the middle to late last week, but it was imminent. What do I think the answer would be if and when they confirm that Iron Links Prima are the founding customers for this Lamborghini LMDH. It stands to reason, if you ask me, that they go all in with one mark. And um, whilst they have been all in with Ferrari, it's a reasonably simple thing to change that. The other thing I have to say is, remember, Ferrari are changing their base model um, imminently. Uh, it will bring the operating cost of the 296 GT3 down very considerably from the towering numbers of the, um, the um, 488 GT3 and GTE. My belief is under half the per kilometre cost uh, for the car, 
But even that percentage points higher than the Lamborghini Huracan GT3, obviously with its new Evo 2 um, version now unveiled, coming from the John of the Chorus, the position of zero knowledge, the reality here is that it makes no sense to have your top program with one major Italian supercar maker and all your other programs with the other. I think if they're going Lamborghini for hypercar, they're going Lamborghini for everything. 10-4. Why don't we go to our pal, Matty Hawkins. Uh, says, with Spa now in the books for another crazy six-hour race, GTE BOP, does it need changing? Should it stay as is? Matty says, hashtag me personally. I think it should stay as it is, Graham. Opinions. Um, Ferrari told us they were doing the rain dance. I've had a chat with a couple of people in the background at Ferrari <coughs> about this very, very issue. Sorry. Uh, bless you. It's even, you get that cat's tail out of your mouth. That's, that's not good for you. Um, the, <laughs> yes. I'll bet. The, yeah, furball. Um, the, the reality, I think, here is I do think Ferrari feel they were a little behind the curve, needed the rain. God, did that rain give us a great um, chase in uh, in GTE. I'll say this. I have massive, massive respect for the pace of Michael Christensen. But I'll add this in. Could we have had a different result if the phenomenon at the moment that is Kevin Est hadn't let his, his turn one mistake get in his head? For those that didn't color onto this, we had something about half the six-hour distance actually onto green. Um, but if we take the race as a six-hour race, the reality is Kevin Estrat was in the car for the first hour and Michael Christensen was in the car for the final five hours. Um, I think if we'd had that, uh, that pairing driving as was planned for this race, we could have seen a very different result. I will say this. Absolutely huge kudos to James Collado for a masterpiece in defensive driving. Absolutely looked all day as if there was going to be a lunge, there was going to be an attempt, there was going to. At no point did it look like he would crumble under pressure. Absolutely fantastic stuff from James. Um, good to see his name being mentioned in lights uh, when it's been very much the LA Pierre Greedy show of late. Um, James Gallardo does not need to be forgotten when we're talking about what comes next for the Ferrari uh, Ferrari factory drivers. Why don't we go to another person with M-A-T-T in their name, Matthew License. Says BOP seemed closer between the Glickenhaus and Toyota. Moving the conversation here, obviously, Graham from GTE to uh, them prototypes. Said, though, Alpine appeared to be very underpowered. Why does the FI always go too far in BOP reductions? Like what was also seen with Ferrari, as he mentioned, uh, this time, this six hours of Bahrain last year. Uh, mm -hmm. Chris uh, Washer, hopefully I'm pronouncing your last name correctly. Uh, similar possibility to make the, the Glickenhaus faster so the other manufacturers don't have to, quote, stoop to their level. Um, yeah. Why don't we cover off a little mm. bit of the prototype speed aspect from last weekend? Um, I, I, I don't disagree. It did look as if the Alpine was off the pace. However, take a look at who's at the top of the point standings at the end of Spa and consider this as a potential conspiracy theory. Um, Le Mans BOP is completely separate. 
but you will take into account the cues that you've seen for the previous races. If what you're led to believe is that that Alpine is slow, well, it either is slow or they're making it look slow. They've come away from Spa. Remember, a six-hour race that attracts fewer points than um, the Le Mans 24 hours and the, uh, the first and the last races of the season. If you're going to throw away some points at the altar of getting the right BOP, that's the best place to do it. And they've still come out and lead the championship. So don't count your chickens in terms of what you've seen from Alpine. Uh, pretty clearly, they would like a few horsepower back. As far as the Glickenhaus is concerned, I think we had probably the best hypercar race thus far. Weather is a great leveller, of course. Um, it's certainly the case that uh, Toyota was struggling with the uh, the activation point on the hybrid system. I think, was it three, maybe four points on the track they could use it? It wasn't enough. And in, tr- in transitional conditions, uh, when we were going, you know, from not quite wet to wet or the other way around, the car looked absolutely terrible, was holding up LMP2 cars. So they've got a bit of head scratching to do. If that's where Toyota are with the car in that trim, boy, this could be quite an interesting end to the season, particularly if, as we're expecting, Peugeot turn up at Monza, and particularly if, as they're dropping filthy great hints they might, Porsche turn up in Bahrain. Filthy. Filthy great hands. Um, let me take a quick look here at the good old clockometer. Yeah, all right. Got a little, little bit of time left still, about 15-ish minutes, Graham. Uh, mm. What do we go to? Thomas Smets. Hey, Thomas, okay. is it Graham? You had a blast last weekend. You commenting on a fine race while I was standing in the rain taking pictures? MP will know the feeling. Oh, indeed, Thomas. Yeah, I've had this guy just y- yammering in my ear for years, whether I'm trackside or, <laughs> God, he just won't stop calling me for this podcast each week. I mean, good Lord. Anyways, um, he says, and I still haven't found that second sticker, but we'll look the next uh, the next time during the GT Open mm. weekend. Uh, we have a couple uh, inside the, the sports tunnel, car what... paddock and uh, this... weekend sports yeah. car stickers uh, defiling the, uh, yeah. the great... Spa Frank Archon circuit. It's more than two. Ooh. What we really need to do, since folks love to run down to the track and spray paint stuff on it, not as often as we see done at the Nurburgring, but I'm just saying, you know, we got a lot of show stickers. I'd love to see a graffiti artist uh, get down there and do a full <laughs> wide, wide, full track width uh, twist. Uh, anyways, uh, he says. <clears throat> Uh, but anyways, next weekend, uh, this now, this weekend, Imola, EMS, yes. final of the debut for the H24 car in yep. uh, good old Le Mans competition. What can we expect from that good old hydrogen mobile? Does it have any specs uh, inside that were already announced for the hydrogen class coming in 2025? Uh, the answer is this is not the car for the 2025 uh, formula. It's a stepping stone towards that. They're aiming for sort of GT3 levels of pace and they're doing that by uh, in three regards the first is uh to reduce weight and the new car is i think i'm right 300 kilos lighter than the original h24 car they're doing it with power from the hydrogen fuel cell um 
and they're doing it with the in terms of the endurance of the car to do with um, the pressure to which they can fill that tank. So yes, the uh, announcement came in the last couple of days that the H24 car is going to race here at Imola. That can only mean that it has passed its final FIA safety test. I know the ACO had made it very clear that they wanted the H24 car to race before they allowed it to race in the in the Road to Le Mans races, supporting the Le Mans 24 hours. So um, the fact that it's here at Imola, unless something dramatic happens of a negative nature, I think the answer is you can expect if you're going to be trackside for the Le Mans 24 hours to get the opportunity to see that car joining the grid there too. What can you expect in terms of performance? <sighs> It's not going to be quick, okay? They are struggling to get to and maintain um, the uh, the pace of a GT3 car. They're making strides towards it, but they're not quite there yet. Maybe they can do it over a single lap. Can they do it over a 50-minute race? I highly doubt it. But this is a program with a particular purpose. And the fact that we've got multiple people asking questions about it means it's succeeding in that purpose. People are intrigued and interested in the technology, in the potential for that technology, um, both in road cars and in racing. And this is at the cutting edge of that tech. Uh, there's a long way to go. At this stage, having talked to one of the, the guys behind the project, I'm going to be surprised if we see hydrogen fuel cell car in a top class spec by 2025. If we do, and if it can maintain that kind of pace, then that, ladies and gentlemen, is some achievement. Can I go ahead and do a hashtag breaking exclusive scoop? Uh, kind of deed. Next year, the uh, Camaro ZL1 uh, NASCAR Cup car Chevrolet uh, Garage 56 entry? Yes. Hydrogen powered. No. Yeah, you're right. No, it is. I just totally made that up, but I just felt like, hey, if a freaking big old bomb and american v8 nonsense uh stock car can go uh there and probably be somewhat quick why not just say hey let's uh go ahead and do that with uh a little bit of hydrogen hey i'll be back in just a sec i gotta uh accept someone trying to ring and get through the front door hold on all right well after skype dumped uh us there hey we're back uh and we're back with our pal damien peachman Ooh. Oh, Lord. I got another call, but uh, I'm going to have to call Lawrence Foster back. Uh, Damien Peachman wants to know, hey, uh, good old son of Yen Magnuson. He was mm -hmm. a Pugiat sport guy. Now he's he a uh, Hossios Formula One driver. Is he no mm -hmm. longer a Pugiat uh, WEC driver? Uh, what, Kevin Magnuson? No, he's done. Okay. Uh, Clement have Rose Go ahead, sorry. Have they, have, they have they replaced him, I think is the question. Uh, the answer is... I think they have, and I think I know who it is, but I'm not going to say. Okay. There is, there is going to be a significant announcement or set of announcements from Peugeot of a very positive nature, by the, nature, by the way. It would be wrong for me to just throw that out onto this show. Does so their the name is, rhyme with pissed off boo-hoo? No, oh, that's no, that's bad. a good, that's a really good guess. Really good. Well done. That should have been his nickname for his entire career. 
because um, that's kind of all he did was he was either super mad or super cranky and pissy. How is his lifelong career long nickname not pissed off boohoo? I mean, some folks seriously failed thirty years ago, Graham. That's a t-shirt. That, that, that's a t-shirt right there. It might be. Uh, our pal Clement Rosin is going to lead us towards uh, the winding down point here. Ooh. Says Toyota ran into trouble during the first two rounds of the good old Weckety Weck this year. Could this motivate the team to bring further adjustments to their car for the rest of the season to improve reliability? Um, could TGR be looking to replace their package altogether as they face increased competition coming in, etc.? Uh, says hashtag me personally would not be surprised to see a GR zero two zero racing by 2023 or 2024. Um, I think it's a very interesting point. No sign that that's the case. Um, would add weight to that point though. The last time we saw a Toyota um, fail to finish a WC race before this year was 2019. Um, no failures since that race uh, until the first two races of this season. Okay, one was not a mechanical or electrical failure. It was the dramatic incident for Pichita Lopez at uh, Sebring. But then the electrical issue pretty dramatically finished the race for um, Chiri Cheeky Chappie Seb Bramery. Um, that, uh, I think, has rattled them. I think they also a little rattled by not really understanding why the car was struggling for pace as it did in those changeable conditions. It's not the world's silliest theory. Let's put it that way. There are no signs that there's truth behind it at the moment, but it certainly is not the worst theory in the world that perhaps Totokasu Racing might be looking to the next chapter in this story. The other thing that potentially adds um, a little weight to the potential for this Remember, Tota Kazoo Racing and Tota were planning a road car on the basis of the yep, GRO 10. That car, that car died some time ago. They're not tied to that aspect of this program anymore. Um, therefore, they could, should they wish to, uh, decide uh, on a pretty radical upgrade of this car whenever they decide they wish to re-homologate. Um, great question. I think it's gonna. There's a great deal of hashtag wait and see through Le Mans this year, and for the remainder of this season, when they I, they'll certainly have an opportunity to test this car against the Peugeot, and I think they might also get an opportunity, albeit briefly, to see the car run against an MGH car. Uh, that could be a very interesting moment for the program. Okay, we're gonna go to Matthew License again. Toyota behind Alpine and Glickenhaus right now, Graham, in the championship standings. Would you be worried if you're Toyota owing to the level of competition that is on the horizon? So I know that's a bit of a slightly mm -hmm. different shade to Clement's question, but just thinking bigger picture beyond individual race wins and prestige and, and honor, uh, it looks like well, somebody mistakenly turned the uh, the standings upside down. Uh, well, I think that I think it's it's perfectly fair comment, but I think what this this prefaces is balance of performance means you've got to be perfect. You've got to be perfect. You can't afford mistakes. You can't afford unreliability. You can't afford those things because 
all of the competition in the class are going to be within the same performance window. Now, whether or not you go down the road of saying you're dumbing it down to the slowest car, um, whatever you decide about balanced performance, they all read the rule book, they all signed up for it, and this is where they are. Um, would I be worried at the moment if I were Toyota? Of course I would. They're not remotely where they felt they should be after two races of a six-race season. And they'll be very rattled indeed if they don't win Le Mans, which is a possibility. Mm. They're very reliable uh, Alpine, the Glickenhouses, and there will be two of them at Le Mans, were reliable last year, albeit not nearly as quick as the Toyota. But if we get the kind of weather at Le Mans that we saw at Spa, the blunt reality is the Toyotas in those conditions were nowhere. It was nowhere. It was holding up P2 cars, which have been dumbed down to bring them out of that performance window. So, yeah, I think if I was Tota, I'd be concerned. Um, I think I'd be trying to find out the answers to the questions. Question one, what um, stopped the first of the cars? Question two, just what on earth went on um, with the performance of the car at that critical couple of points in the race where the pace was just falling off a cliff. I also love the fact with your, uh, your little shout out here, uh, to blunt reality, the, uh, marijuana growers, uh, magazine here go. in Northern California. So <laughs> look at you. I mean, you're just giving shout outs all <laughs> random as hell. Goodwin. Good Lord. Look oh, at you. All right. Blunt reality. Didn't know you're a subscriber, but okay. Uh, two to go. Bjorn Bjorn. You say, if you can only run GT three and whack, um, if you also do a hypercar project, mm -hmm. how would that affect brands like Corvette and Cadillac, let's say Porsche and Audi? So for okay. those who don't know, that is the kind of limiting factor we've heard, right? That, uh, if you it's want to play GT3, you might, you know, we're not just going to let any old person in. It's a definite possibility. Um, I would go edge towards probability is a straight answer. So answering Bjorn's uh, specific questions, I don't think it'll affect Corvette and Cadillac at all. Cadillac will bring a car to the WEC. We know that already. And I have zero doubts that the deal has been done that that brand is effectively General Motors. Um, I'm sure that's the case. I, I think we will see Corvettes um, under the veil, if you like, of Cadillac being in um the uh, hypercar class of the FIWC. And hypercar, remember here, is not LMH. It's the overarching single class that includes the LMH and the MDH cars. As for Porsche, well, no problem. They've got LMDH cars. They're going to be in the FIWC. They'll certainly be able to have factory or customer cars in GT3, AM, or whatever. Uh, who else is mentioned here? Audi. Well, they're not going to have a car. Therefore, they're not going to have a, a GT3 cars if that's what the ACO decide. Whether or not the ACO decides something different, if a brand or brands come forward and say, what if we spent this kind of money in activating our brand across the full WEC and, of course, at Le Mans? Now, that might be quite an interesting question. But at the moment in terms of what we know we have got by that point, or likely to have by that point, the brands you can expect to see in the FIWC's GT3-based um, Pro-Am class are Porsche, Ferrari, Lamborghini, 
Glickenhaus, because that's the plan for Jim Glickenhaus and co. Corvette, certainly. Uh, what am I forgetting here? Peugeot don't have a GT3 car. Um, and there's someone else there that's a Tota. They've got a new GT3 product coming through. Uh, whether or not that's a, to- a Tota or a Lexus won't matter. I'm sure that a game would be another umbrella brand. We'll wait and see what happens with BMW and their um, ongoing uh, talks, let's put it that way, with at least one, and to my certain knowledge, at times um, three or more teams in the WEC that might bring that to the fore. So there will still be more uh, potential variety in the uh, the GT3 field than there currently is for GTE, but it's not going to be 12, 13, 14 brands um, unless the ACO change their mind that this is a great idea about developing the partnerships that they would like to carry through at a world championship level for a number of years. That's the idea. Final question goes to our pal. Once again, Daniel Summers Gill, I would say paging Ben Keating. Uh, Laura Wantrop Clouser <laughs> has said that Corvette would consider entering GTE AM in 2023. Um, if, uh, if, uh, as is likely the GTE pro class does come to an end, Mm-hmm. Uh, would they still be called Corvette Racing, or would they be required? Uh, would they require a customer to run those cars instead of the factory itself? It's a good question. I mean, I was obviously in the in the booth for Laura when she was talking on air about uh, these, and good to to hear, by the way, that the level of interest they've got in that car. She foresees zero problems in selling twenty of those GT3 cars in twenty twenty four. Onwards, they need to sell two, uh, tw- 20 in the first two years of their homologation to validate their homologation. So the answer is, I think they can do what they like. Might we see Corvette Racing running GTM cars? We might. There's all sorts of fun and games being played in the background about who might be a decent bronze driver for those cars. Um, but there's no doubt, I mean, trust me, zero doubt in my mind that there are very significant potential customer partner teams emerging for that program or those programs. I don't think they're going to be short of customers for the 2024 Corvette. And whether or not it's Corvette Racing or insert name of another stellar um, GT race team that runs the cars from 2024 onward to the FIWC, I have about zero doubt that we're going to see Corvettes multiple in the WEC for the full season from that point forward. Take us home, Graham Goodwin. I will. Uh, as you can probably hear in my voice, it's been a long, long day. 21 hours up now and uh, time for me to hit the hay. Uh, good to hear your voice, MP, and thanks to Daniel for popping these questions together. Um, if I get a chance, I might uh, answer a few of them on social media that we've not managed to get to tonight. But before we go, we must, of course, say thank you to Cooper Tires, the Justice Brothers, and to torontomotorsports.com, without whom we couldn't do this show. This has been the Week in Sports Cars. It's part of the 8 million download Marshall Pruitt Podcast Network. Uh, he's been Marshall Pruitt. I've been Craig Goodwin. I'm going to bed. Good night. We'll see you next week.